0: And welcome back to the Past and Present podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have been having a lovely week so far. Today we are back with what I hope is an interesting discussion about an article that appeared in the March April 2015 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review, but is now gaining traction with a book that is more fully exploring the topic. The book is called The Sisters of Nazareth Convent, a Roman period, Byzantine, and Crusader site in central Nazareth. It can be found on Amazon.com. The title of the article we will be discussing is Has Jesus' Nazareth Home Been Found? by Ken Dark. Dr. Dark starts by announcing that up to the point of the article, that is 2015, not much archaeological work had been done in Nazareth. A site connected to the Sisters of Nazareth convent does provide some compelling clues about the existence of a small town that may have existed there during Jesus' time. A site was discovered there in the 1880s, but escaped serious professional archaeological scrutiny until fairly recently, specifically 2006. He starts with the chance discovery of a cistern in the 1880s, shortly after the convent was built. Everyone connected to the convent, from the nuns to the children of the workmen, helped excavate the site, uncovering a complex sequence of very well-preserved features. These included walls and vaults dating to the Crusades, a cave church from the Byzantine era, Roman tombs, and other rock-cut and built structures. After this first set of excavations, it is stated the nuns made a small museum to showcase the small, portable artifacts they unearthed. When construction of the new convent started, the walls of a large Byzantine-era church were found. This begins to beg the question, why here? What was so special about this spot that multiple churches across multiple centuries were built? Dr. Dark continues with the archaeological history to attempt to come to an answer. While continuing to build the new convent in the 1880s, It was noticed that some of the Byzantine features, such as the mosaic floors and white marble fittings, were rebuilt in the Crusader period. Dr. Dark questions if all this ancient church construction indicate the site was considered holy, or at least historically important. He questions and then theorizes this site is somehow related to Jesus' home. Now, we fast forward to 1936, when the Jesuit father Henri Senez, a former architect, began to meticulously record the previously exposed structures. He also undertook some further, limited excavations. Father Senez never published his work, but we know of it thanks to the nuns, who kept an archive of his substantial notes and drawings, and have graciously granted access to historians and archaeologists. Nothing further was done to the archaeologically to the site until 2006, when archaeologists and historians began re-examining the site. It soon became apparent there was an enormous timeline of well-preserved structures. This included the Crusader and Byzantine churches, two early Roman period tombs, a phase of small-scale quarrying, and most interestingly, a rectilinear structure with partly rock-cut and partly stone-built walls. Now before we continue, it might be reminding you wonderful smart listeners that rectilinear simply means a shape made up of straight lines. So what the archaeologists found was a squarish or rectangular-ish structure that had been cut through by the forecourt of a tomb dating to the first century. This means the rectilinear structure was built first, earlier than this time. The original structure also dated to the Roman period. This was confirmed by the presence of Kefar Hananya-type pottery, which was the standard domestic pottery of Roman period Galilee. Think like your mom or grandmother's cornflower blue corningware. The pottery can clearly be dated, so it stands to reason that the original structure was probably a domestic one. What was also found were probable fragments of limestone vessels a strong indicator that the inhabitants were probably Jewish. Limestone vessels were very popular in Jewish communities during the early Roman period because they were not subject to impurity under Jewish law. Dr. Dark then lays out the architecture of the structure, describing it as constructed by cutting back a limestone hillside as it sloped toward the valley below. It's entirely possible the reclaimed limestone was used to form the limestone vessels later found this is my own hypothesis, not one forwarded by Dr. Dark. These limestone walls were carefully smoothed to freestanding rock walls, to which stone-built walls were added. There were also a series of rooms. One of these rooms, along with its doorway, survives to its full height. There was also a stairway rising adjacent to one of its walls. A rock overhang survived, its upper surface supporting either a roof or or a second story, which had been made of some other material that did not withstand the test of time. Inside this surviving doorway, earlier excavations revealed part of the original chalk floor. Small portable artifacts, like cooking pottery and a spindle whorl, suggest that this was someone's home. The home was typical of early Roman period settlements in Galilee, conforming to the plan of so-called courtyard houses. Why is this house so well-preserved when others of the same period vanished? The answer, Dr. Dark postulates, is in what happened in its later history. Subsequent building efforts made sure to preserve the remains of this original building within the walled cellars of both the Byzantine and Crusader churches, thereby protecting it from the ravages of time. Now, the most puzzling aspect of the site, as seen in 2006, was the presence of obvious evidence of a Jewish tomb. Now, obviously, there was no domestic occupation on a burial site, but there were no such issues in having a burial site over a domestic site that had fallen into disuse. Additionally, the surrounding area had already been destroyed before the tombs were built. This creates a kind of a conflict that's basically an illusion it reinforces the theory that the home most definitely predates any other ancient construction or destruction of the site. This is also confirmed by the fact that no stratified domestic pottery earlier or later than the early Roman period was found, which means what was there was the first thing that was there. There was nothing any earlier than that. And that pottery timeline stops with this with this early Roman pottery of the first century. Now, in 2009, an additional first-century courtyard was discovered nearby during a salvage excavation prior to the construction of the International Marian Center. In areas such as Israel, anytime that they are going to build a new structure, they always do an evaluation of the archaeology of the area to make sure that once they bring in heavy equipment, they're not actually going to disturb some sort of significant archaeology that has not yet been unearthed. This is pretty common even here in the States when it comes to Native American burial grounds. This house is nearly identical in structure as the one where the convent was built. The only major difference is that the second house has fewer rock cut components, which means it was actually built more out from the hillside as opposed to carving into the hillside. Archaeologists now have two first-century courtyard houses in very close proximity. These houses, combined with the artifacts previously discovered, lead us to believe this settlement was larger and perhaps a bit wealthier than previously thought. The archaeologists of Roman province elsewhere would have considered Nazareth a, a small town, seen by the Romans themselves as a small urban center that served local, smaller agricultural communities nearby now speaking of agriculture how was nazareth irrigated now archaeologists like dr dark have determined that it was watered by at least three but possibly as many as seven springs or wells they are the saint mary's well which is most well known the apostles fountain a spring of the sisters of nazareth convent another source is implied by a circa 1900 unpublished plan found in the convent archive which shows a channel leading from the synagogue church. According to Gottfried Schumacher in the 19th century, local people knew of another spring located to the south. The Palestine Exploration Fund's famous survey in the 1870s recorded a well within the Church of the Annunciation. And finally, Paul Range claims to have another have seen another spring to the west of the old city, a claim he wrote in his 1923 book, Das Land der Bibel. What would the Nazareth of Jesus' time actually look like? Now, the land behind Nazareth is oriented to the north. In the south, a high rocky ridge makes travel by foot or animal-drawn cart very difficult. However, in the north, an easy walk leads to a broad valley between Nazareth and the Roman town of Sepphoris. Between 2004 and 2010, an exhaustive survey of the region found a number of previously unknown early Roman period sites, which had no pre-Roman material, which means the early Roman sites were exactly the first things that were there. A few sites had evidence of quarrying. Culturally, we can possibly say something regarding the identity of those living in this region. Now, all the sites in the south had the Kefar Hananya type pottery. Some even had the type of limestone vessels that featured prominently in Jewish homes. However, those settlements in the north had a much wider range of artifacts, including imported eastern terra sigillata pottery and imported amphora. This clearly demonstrates that communities closer to Sepphoris, a Roman settlement, embraced the cultural world of the Roman provinces, while those closer to Nazareth chose a more traditionally Jewish material culture. This may have indicated a more conservative attitude towards religious beliefs, summarily rejecting Roman culture. There is no place else in the Roman Empire where there is such a clear cultural line between the acceptance and the rejection of Roman culture than right here. Now, recent scholarship has argued the Roman settlement at Sephoris would have played an integral part in Jesus' life. However, this hypothesis may be slightly flawed. Given the site as seen today is a largely later construction, not necessarily modern, just later than the first century. We currently have little certain knowledge of what a first century Sephora looked like. What little information we do have suggests Sepphoris was an urban center with an administrative function. Think your town center or county seat, and it may have been relatively cosmopolitan that it was open to Roman culture while remaining a Jewish community. Conversely, Nazareth was a local center lacking in Roman cultural trappings. The gospel descriptions of the Nazareth synagogue, mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 verses 54 through 58, Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6, and Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 30, are exactly what we would expect in an early Roman provincial small town. It is also the same type of small town we would find a rural craftsman like Joseph. Putting all these pieces together, we can draw some conclusions. Jesus' childhood was spent in a conservative Jewish community with little contact with Roman culture. While none of this directly leads back to the site at the Sisters of Nazareth convent being Jesus' boyhood home, A 7th century account of a pilgrim named Adamnan of Iona describes two churches in the middle of Nazareth. One clearly describes the Church of the Annunciation, while the other was built over vaults and has a spring and the remains of two tombs. Adamnan tells us that between these two tombs was the house where Jesus was raised. This brings us full circle to the hypothesis at the beginning of our show that the Sisters of Nazareth convent is built over the remains of a house situated between two tombs. Given the care made to preserve the structures through the ages, a strong argument can be made to suggest they were of special, possibly holy concern. While archeologists cannot say with 100% certainty that this is where Jesus was raised, there is no good archeological reason to reject it either. What we can say with certainty is Byzantine church builders believed this was where Jesus spent his childhood. I hope you enjoyed this talk on the possible discovery of the home of Jesus. If you would like to read the article in full, go to www.biblicalarchaeology.org. The title of the article is Has Jesus's Nazareth House Been Found? by Ken Dark. It appeared in the March-April 2015 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review and is currently a free article. If you are interested in receiving the magazine, or you wish to learn more about the Biblical Archaeological Society, you can find information on their website. I welcome your emails about today's archaeology topic. You can reach me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find more great daily devotionals on our two Facebook pages, Rebirth Network, with a purple heart between the words, and Rebirth Encouraged, also with a purple heart between the words. Join us Monday when our topic will be on service. Until then, stay blessed, not stressed, and unburdened by the rest. Have a great weekend.